Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, grab your notes, and uh, we're going we're gonna to move into uh, our next chapter. We are in uh, week four of the, the, the uh, letter that James, the half-brother of, uh, of Jesus, writes to the early church. And uh, we have one week to go. And I'm so excited. I appreciate so much. So many of you have been so kind about this series. And you've, you've asked, some of you have asked, will we do another series uh, through a book in the Bible again? And I want you to know, yes, we will. We, we do this at least twice a year. We just pick a book. Uh, that's in the Bible, uh, and we just work our way through it. And that's what we've been doing in James. We've been learning a lot. And James is not an easy read, is it? There's some challenge. There's some heat to what he says. We're going to certainly see some of that today. And uh, here, if you've been with us, let me just kind of get us up all on the same page. So uh, this is, like I said, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote, uh, let's see if I can remember, he wrote a general epistle. This is a, a letter to all of the Christians of his day, which means it's a letter for us. James, we think, wrote the letter around AD 45, which if you're a historian like I am, any historians in the room, Come on. And uh, uh, he wrote it probably, uh, we think, 10 years before the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council was the time when those of us who are in the room or online were welcomed to the table of Christianity. Uh, James was a big proponent of that. He was a leader in the church of Jerusalem, and he was a friend to the Gentiles. Can I get an Amen. So he welcomed us to the table. And so it's important when you're reading the letter to, uh, that James writes that you're reading it from that perspective. He's sort of welcoming a conversation, if you will, for those of us who are Gentiles uh, to find a seat at the table of Christianity. And we're learning that Christianity is not just for those of Jewish persuasion. Back in the day, that was a thing. It's for all of us. It's for all of us, red, yellow, black, and white, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, all of us. Say amen to that. And so this is kind of the conversation that we're having right now uh, in these days. And so, you know, we are looking at these important verses. I was sort of thinking about this today, especially to tee up what I want us to talk about today. And we got some heavy lifting to do when we get to James chapter four. Uh, a couple uh, uh, weeks ago, or maybe a couple months back, we did a series uh, looking through uh, Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is uh, arguably the most uh, well-recognized uh, passage of scripture in the entire Bible. Would you have a guess as to what the next most popular verse in the Bible is? Would you have any idea what that would be? It would be, it would be this one. It would be John 3.16. Let's say it together. Ready? Go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting uh, or eternal life. And notice what it says here, for God so loved the world. And uh, I think John chapter three, verse 16 gets a lot of 
uh, energy. And, uh, but I want you to know that I believe this morning that John 3.17 is every bit as powerful. And if you go ahead, it says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And again, I want you to notice world. And that's what we're going to talk uh, about when we get uh, over to James chapter 4. He's going to invite us into a conversation about the world and how we can, namely, how he thinks of it this way, how we can be um, in the world, but not of the world. There it is. Okay? And so we're going to look at um, this important passage of Scripture. And really, at at the heart of what James is going to say in James chapter 4 is this. How we can prevent ourselves as a church or as people who self-identify as followers of Jesus, uh, not to be so heavenly-minded, you ever heard this phrase? We're no earthly good. And the world doesn't need that. The world's had enough of that. So he's going to invite us into a conversation. But here's what I want to tell you before we get to this. If you've never read James chapter 4, he's going to light our britches on fire. Okay, and so you can tell all your friends later, what happened at church? You go to church today, you say, yeah, we got our britches lit on fire. Okay, press everybody, and they'd go, you should go to another church. <laughs> so here we are. We're going to go to James chapter 4. We're going to stand together uh, to honor God's word as we do it, and we're going to read this powerful passage together. We're going to read the first 12 verses, and... Uh, This is going to be a challenge. All right, so James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. So, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? I mean, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you do not ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit? He has cause to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves both before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you... Who are you 
to judge your neighbor. Are your pants on fire yet? (laughs) Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, I think. (laughs) Let's pray. You know, Lord, I think in every moment when we come to this space, I think the ideal, the, the, the idea really, is to sit under your teaching to humble ourselves under your truth. And so God, even when the word is hard, even when the challenge is real, uh, would you remind us in this morning that if we wade into deeper waters, uh, like a good parent, you're going to wade there with us. Show us a better way. So help us. For we pray all these things For your glory and glory alone, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I used to have a friend of mine when we were early in our Christianity. uh, This would be over in the former Good Shepherd, which is now our our West Palm Beach campus. And uh, we were were both learning the ropes of Christianity together. And we we knew we needed to challenge each other about our lives as young men. And we would meet together uh, over on, there was a restaurant over on Congress Avenue, it was a barbecue joint called Ben's. How many of y'all, anybody? Come on, look at that. And uh, we would go over there and we would have breakfast. They had a really, really good breakfast because you could have eggs and all this smoked meat to go with it. And, and we would sit over there and we would read the Bible together and then we would, we would talk about the Bible. And my friend Court and I, we would often say when we came across a word that was difficult, this is what we'd say. We'd go, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And when you read James chapter four, I just want to say, really, in in so many ways when you read it, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And there's a word, there's a challenge, there's something in there for every single one of us. And, 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 And when you read the Bible, sometimes you can go, man, I got this part pretty well good and I'm doing okay here. And then you read something else and you go, I'm a complete loser. And, you know, the price is right, loser horn sounds, bum, 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 you know, and you feel like, ah, oh, this is not good. And James chapter 4 is, is one of those things. Now, interestingly, um, we've, traveled, we've traveled a long way so far. I mean, when you go to James, it gets real very quick. I mean, it, we were in James chapter 1, and we talked about, I think we talked about hearing and doing. And we basically learned this idea that, um, that uh, the proof is in the pudding, Right, We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. Actions speak louder than what? Words. Uh, You get to James chapter 2, and we learned um, about faith and works. This is one of the big controversies of the early church. Uh, Do our works actually save us uh, in our sins, or is it salvation by faith alone, through uh, faith alone, through grace, and what Jesus has accomplished. And we learn really that our works don't justify us. They begin to point to others and to us that, in fact, we are justified, right? So that was a big deal. If you were with us last week, oh my gosh, we talked about the tongue and the thumbs. And we said words matter, right? Words matter. You have within your uh, capacity of what you say and what you text and what you write, the opportunity to bless or to curse. Choose blessing. 
every time. You'll be glad you did. And today, if we were gonna um, kind of create, uh, uh, go on in the list, I think the conversation is really a conversation about God or the world. Uh, when we look, if we blow out to the 5,000 foot level, we, we learn in this space that um, this is the conversation that James is writing uh, and inviting us into. It's, it's, about, it's about God and it's about our relationship in so many ways with the world. And James comes at it pretty hard. When, when, uh, when I read James chapter four, in fact, I'll give you a little dirty secret. When we were teeing this up in the teaching team, I, um, I was uh, counting the days hoping maybe that someone else could preach James chapter four. <laughs> and I was like, missed it by that much. And uh, sometimes when I read James chapter four, um, he comes off to me like, like he's hangry, right? Do you know what hangry is? We have, uh, we have, a, we have a person in our family that um, they get hangry. And when, they're, when they get hangry, we have, we have this, we just know if they're just a little cranky, we, we, just, we just try to look for a moment to say, hey, when was the last time you ate? Because your blood pressures or blood sugar's down and you are cranky. And James, you know, when you read James chapter four, part of me wants to go, James, go eat a Snickers bar. You'll do better. It just looks like he's cranky. It looks like, or or word my mom uses, uh, she used to say, you're throwing a hissy fit, right? And uh, we wonder if it's too much, right? Like, like maybe he's over peaking, like he's He's going too far. How many of you, like we've said before, you ever, do you ever go too far? Your words get away from you. You ever said something and you, you thought, oh, just it's that last 20 words that came out of my mouth. One of the great stories in my family they tell about me is that when I was in the third grade, I, I was in the third grade, it's, you, you, start to, you start to really recognize, you, you come into your own. I always pray for our third grade teachers. We have any third grade teachers in the room? God bless you, right? And uh, when I was in the third grade, um, I was very intimidated by my teacher. She was an older teacher. She'd been there a long time, and she was kind of stern. And, and I remember this one time, she was grading my paper. She called me up to her desk, and she's grading my paper. And I was trying, I was learning the skills of being a politician even back then. And I, I told her while she was grading my paper, I literally said this to my third grade teacher. I said, you know, for somebody who's old... You smell really nice. <laughs> I literally said that. Uh, I was at, we were at home that afternoon eating dinner and the phone rang. And it was that teacher. And she called my parents to tell them that and, and she thought it was funny. My dad, not so much. <laughs> You ever, you ever just feel like you go too far? I'm a, I'm a lover of history, and, and uh, I, I'm reading right now about the life of this guy. Do you know, you know who this guy is? We'll show you his name. And uh, this is a dude. He, um, he said some great things. 
He, he really did. He, he was the guy who said this, if you're going through hell, keep going. He said, a kite rises against the wind, not with it. He said all these things. He says, success is going through failure after failure with great enthusiasm. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff he said. But every now and again, uh, Winston Churchill would yip and he would go too far. He was at a dinner party one time and, I, and, and history says he, he'd had just a little too much to drink. And he was talking to this woman sitting next to him and finally she said, you know what? She said, you're a drunk. And he said, you might be right, madam, but tomorrow I'll be sober and you'll still be ugly. Wow, way to go, man. He, uh, he told Lady Astor one time at this, at this state dinner, uh, she said to him, she said, Sir Winston Churchill, they never liked one another. And she said, if I were your wife, I would put poison in your coffee. And he said, Lady Astor, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. He said, you got time for one more just because? He said one time, this is one of his famous things. He said, now don't shoot the messenger. He said, you show me a young conservative and I'll show you a person without heart. And you show me an old liberal, I'll show you a person without brains. (laughs) That didn't ring as good as the other one that I might figure them out. Sometimes when you read James 4, focus now, let's focus, okay? You you get the idea that he's going too far. And uh, if you look underneath the hood, here's what you learn. He isn't going too far. And uh, most scholars think that, um, remember what I told you a moment ago, He's writing through the lens of inviting the Gentiles into the room. And uh, in a a few years, he's going to defend our cause uh, in terms of Christianity for the Declaration of Independence, that we have a right to be at the table. But here's the interesting thing. Most scholars think that James was writing from that perspective. And so he was also writing from the perspective of um, what kind of Christian should we be that lays out the best opportunity for us to be able through our life's witness to invite others to the table. And many scholars write, and this is what they say, you have to read James through this perspective. He's giving us, if you will, a class in etiquette 
about what it means to be a follower of Jesus that makes a difference in a world that's lost its way. John Mark Comer helps us understand, I think, a little bit more about the world. And he writes this. This is the best definition I've ever seen of what James is striking at. Now put yourself under the window historically of what James is wanting us to understand. And here's what, according to John Mark Comer, this is what James is striking at, the world is a system of ideas and values and morals and practices and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and institutionalized into a culture, corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. Now, if we're honest, if we're honest, every one of us feels the weight of this in our lives. And what James is inviting us into, if we do our homework right, is sort of a conversation about how to be in the world and not of the world, how to best represent what was historically thought of back in the day as the way and not lose our resolve or lose our witness. It's a really challenging conversation. It's a conversation really, in fact, I want to say this. I should have said it earlier. This is an insider conversation. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you don't self-identify as a follower of Jesus, this conversation is really not for you. It's not. You get a pass. Uh, but I would tell you this, you, you, get, you get an opportunity in real time this morning in these moments to see how one church is striving to sort of live into this in an appropriate fashion. So you can go, hey, I was, I was at an insider meeting <laughs> where we read some stuff that lit our pants on fire and then we had a conversation about etiquette and behavior. How to be in the world and, and not of the world. How many of you would, would agree that's such an important conversation? Uh, one of my favorite quotes, I, I've used it before. I roll it out every now and again because it's meaningful to me, which means I go back to it. It's a quote by Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard says this. He goes, how many people, really, are radically and permanently repelled by the way, that's the Christian way, by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied. Sounds like Winston Churchill. <laughs> Yet such Christians are everywhere. And what they're missing is the wholesome liveliness springing from a balanced vitality with the freedom of God's loving rule. Christian spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human re- Misery and rebellion against God. So what are we to do? What are we to do? I was, uh, I put my sociologist hat on with our teaching team. 
And we had a lively conversation about all the different things we could do when it comes to our relationship with the world. And uh, I think you'll agree, I think we've summed up most of them. One, one thing we could do is um, we could fight it. Uh, that's an appropriate thing. Seems more and more right now in today's culture. It's, a, uh, it's what we do. We're just at war with everybody. We feel good about it. Um, I don't cuss and I don't chew and I don't run with the girls who do. Okay. You've probably seen something that looks like this before. That's appropriate. I was uh, driving on Okeechobee Boulevard and I made a right on State Road 7 and I, I saw something that looked like that. That's a response. I think I would just want to ask the question, how's that work? Um, down through the ages, really, if you study Christian history, Shows up every now and again. And uh, I think it was Anne Lamott. She said, uh, some of us have created a God in our own image. And we learned that that God, you know, we create a God that hates all the same things you do. So that's an approach. We can do that. The problem with this is this isn't really a biblical model. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he said this. It's great. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. I didn't come to faith in Christ because somebody scared the hell out of me. Um, and that's not really our argument. In fact, um, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Not the people. Uh, it's, it's the thoughts and ideas, like John Mark Comer said, it's the it's, it's the narrative that the enemy has spoken to us that we've bought into. That's one way. If we were to go to the, the whole other side of the equation, if we're not fight it, we can embrace it. Uh, for some of us, I talk to people sometimes and they go like this, it's just, it's too hard. Struggle's too real. Tired of fighting. If you can't beat them, join them just becomes a thing. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a friend to be candid and to be sad. Not sure we're friends anymore. And he told me one time, he said, you know, we're never going to change culture. We have to change scripture to embrace the culture.
That can't be it. There's a verse of scripture here, if we were to embrace it, tells us what? Writer says, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for a city that is not to come, uh, that is to come. This world is not our home. We didn't come here to stay. I have a friend of mine, preacher, he says it this, we're all just passing through. Um, that's, a, that's an approach. You can embrace it. Another, another approach is, um, real quickly, is retreat from it. Uh, this is the separatist view. And we just, we just wholesale retreat. In fact, in the West, if you study this, okay, for those of you who are interested, um, we're struggling with the Christian version, a Christian version right now, which makes our faith privatized. Even in phrases like this, now don't, don't shoot the messenger, I just want to push for a moment. You know, that Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. Almost that, just between you and me. Right, no one will ever know. Is that is that the is that the right version for the world, in our our relationship with the world? Um, sometimes people will say, and you see this down again through Christian history. This um, we just retreat out into the desert. I had someone tell me so one time they made this observation. Well, Jesus went to the desert, and I always want to tell him, and he came out of the desert. Right? And the very, one of the very last things Jesus said in John chapter 17, I want you to see this. Look at this. My prayer, he's talking about the disciples, is not that you take the disciples out of the what? There it is. But that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, God. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Hey, them, that's us. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. A lot of options here. Fight it, embrace it, separate ourselves from it. Can I tell you the one that I think's the dirtiest of all of them? Um, it's to subdivide from it, which is this. I got my church world. Come on now. And I got my world world. I got my little religious thing. But it doesn't ever show up anywhere else. You can read statistics that still tell us that over north of 85% of our 
nation in our world claims some form of Christianity. 85%. It's almost 87%. Really? I have a friend who does this when, he, when, when something comes up he doesn't understand. He goes, fascinating. <laughs> right? Don't you, don't you hear that? You just want to go, let's just all say it. Ready? Fascinating. Peter, who had some experience with failure, said this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do it with gentleness and respect. Hey, can I just say, per, word, word, personal word, this is why I'm a follower of Jesus. Somebody did that to me when I was young and dumb. I know it's hard for you to think you're young and dumb. I I get it. Some of you are going, about time he said that. All right. First, fight it. Embrace it. Separate. Subdivide. Here's what I think James wants us to do. Partner with God to redeem it. This is why Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. This is why James is saying we don't judge other people. We read the word and we sit we we sit ourselves under the word and we worry about our lives. Um In the very first, you know, I I just shared with you some of the last words Jesus shared. Let me give you some of the first words Jesus shared. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Let's see, we're going to go to, we're going to keep going there. That's not, keep going, keep going, keep going. There we go. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Do you have any more in there? Yeah. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Moment of honesty here. This, I want to be a distinctive quality of our church. That we um, are the kinds of people who partner with God as loving agents of redemption. Because God in his kindness 
has manifest that to you and to me. Greatest definition of evangelism out there is it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I don't know about you, but that's what I could give my life to. And I have. And and it's the job description of every follower of Christ. I want to give you an assignment. We're going to close our time this morning in James chapter 4. We did it. We made it through James chapter 4. And uh, I want to I want to invite you during the worship time to do two things. Thank the Lord for the person who was kind to you that pointed you toward salvation in Jesus. And pray for the person on your heart that needs to come to faith in Christ and ask God to allow you to be salt and light for them. Okay? Let's pray. Wow, Lord, in this space, we want you to hear our prayer. Uh, I'm so thankful that James is willing to be so out front, uh, way ahead of his day, way ahead of his time, that when he looked at the gospel, he just knew instinctively your own heart. Maybe he knew that because he grew up in the house with you. But he knew that he knew that he knew that the gospel was for everybody. And so God, would you tune up our witness in a way that um, allows us to live in that delicate center space to be in the world and not of the world and that it matters. Hear our prayers as we open this altar and we use this space for we pray together in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and new is here. And all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and then has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow, there it is. I want to remind everybody, of course, our folks will be out here in front. If you need personal prayer, we want to pray for you. 
uh, in this space. And we pray that you go in his mercy. Would you receive this benediction? Father, would you help us to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way? And Jesus, would you help me give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet? And Spirit, will you help me love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do and say, amen and amen. We'll see you next weekend.